Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a very special beginning in Uncanny Trek's coverage. That's right. We're returning to the worlds of Star Trek Strange New Worlds and Legion of Superheroes for season two of both shows. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, are you excited that Strange New Worlds is back? I am very excited Strange New Worlds is back. I was a little worried the first couple of minutes of the episode, but then I got I got okay. So I, I was a little different than you. I got a little, I got a little bored maybe about like 30 minutes in, but then it, I, I felt like it stuck the landing real well with Legion, Bob. Uh-huh. Legion was pretty cool. This season is more extreme. Yeah, you could tell it's so extreme. We got Superboy <laughs> X. <laughs> yeah. Not, not Superboy Y, not Superboy uh, W. Superboy X. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, for those who aren't familiar, uh, because uh, Bob has the obsessive need to compare things, uh, we look at, you know, Star Trek Strange New Worlds and another show. The other show is Legion of Superheroes, the animated cartoon from uh, what, about 2006 to 2008, I think it ran. You know, in a lot of ways, it's a pretty ridiculous comparison. That's part of the joke. But also, you know, Legion and Star Trek, both about nostalgia. Both about a hopeful future. So, you know, I feel like there's thematic overlays, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got a fast so, forward uh, button for a reason, folks. Oh. Burn. <laughs> burn. I ain't going to timestamp it, though. So, so anyway, today we're talking about uh, the season two premieres of both shows The Man from the Edge of Tomorrow, part one, that originally aired on the 22nd of September, 2007. And then we're talking about the uh, Strange New World season two premiere, Broken Circle, which originally aired on the 15th of June, 2023. Matt, do you want to walk us through the plot of Man from the Edge of Tomorrow, part one? In an amusing reversal of the series pilot, angry kryptonite Jack Superboy X recruits the Legion to come to the 41st century to help him fight Imperiax, despite Superboy X's hatred of Brainiac 5. But Imperiax escapes to the 31st century and levels the Legion headquarters. So, Matt, at the start, did the tie-in comics that we read for last week spoil that Brainy was running another fantasy simulation about hanging out with Superboy? Yes, Bob, 100% it did. I watched it and I was like, <laughs> aha, look at that. He's doing another one of the simulations. I was like, I'm glad. I guess I'm glad I read that comic because I was in on the joke like 0.37 seconds faster than anybody else watching. That's right, Matt. You're like the uh, you're, you're the flash of watching this show. <laughs> Thank you, tie-in comic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, do you like a uh, Lightning Lad's uh, older look? You, you you think it's more extreme? It befits a show that has Superboy X. Yeah, he's a little more grizzled looking. He's a little unkept, unkept to me. Unkempt. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any uh, thoughts on the new Legionnaire member we have uh, this season, Chameleon? Yeah, Bob, you mean Chameleon Boy? No, no, I just mean Chameleon. In some versions, he's Chameleon Boy, but in some versions, he's just Chameleon. And I think it makes more sense to, uh, you know, I like the boy, girl, kid, lass, lad stuff, but I think he's the one character where it makes a lot of sense to drop it since, you know, he is a shapeshifter. In this this extreme season, Bob, we want to drop the boy stuff, right? We just want to be called Chameleon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Lightning triplicate yeah <laughs> bouncing you will respect bouncing that he's a uh, he's here bouncing did the extreme and more kinetic season two title sequence speak to you matt uh let me say this about the title sequence it, it was it, it, that was fine it was cool but the music they have got to like they should have updated the the theme that theme is so yeah. the word is tinny t-i-n-n-y 
It sounds uh, horrible yes, yes. when I'm putting it at the beginning of our podcast episodes. It sounds like it's trapped inside of a can. I thought I was messing up, but then I heard it on the TV and I'm like, no, that's how this thing actually sounds. It sounds very canned. <laughs> I mean, I guess if there's something they have to skimp on, that would be a thing I don't mind them skimping on. But yeah, that, that is an interesting point. Did the Legion movie have a distinctive theme? I don't remember. I'm sure it did, but I just wondering if maybe that would be an alternative. I don't know. This this one seems like a uh, like just something they chose from like a series of them. Like they used to do for wrestlers, you know, in WCW. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, yeah. This is basketball highlights number five. That's the name of the mm-hmm. this entrance, mm-hmm. entrance theme. <laughs> which is which is kind of funny, like given the amount of care they put on the uh, the Batman and Superman openings. I honestly don't remember what the JLU opening is, but the the Justice League opening for the first two seasons of the show, that was actually pretty god awful in the spirit of in the spirit of the Legion opening. The Justice League Unlimited opening was pretty amazing. <laughs> Okay, maybe maybe they basically just kept the same one they did for the first two seasons. Then set it up a little bit, uh, like like they like they did for season two of the Legion. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta say, I really hate that Justice League opening. It's it's oh. a great show, but it's a terrible opening. I always thought it was cool. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. <laughs> not feeling it. Not feeling oh. it. Well, Matt, speaking of early aughts nostalgia, uh, do you remember Imperiex from the comics? Yeah, vaguely, he was around in the early aughts. Okay. I feel like I didn't read a lot of comics at that point. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know if I was reading a lot of Superman, maybe a lot of I Batman. Think we, I think we only read a little of this uh, at the time, but it, it was from the Our Worlds at War crossover in 2000, 2001. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Somewhere I, I remember there. the character. I remember him existing. I remember him being like a badass. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think he kills uh, Lois's dad or something. Oh, Okay. No, it's he. So he's a present day like DC villain in the comics and had no association with the Legion. And then, you know, this is a few years later and then they just move him. They move him to the far future and then move him back to the to the near future of the Legion. Right. I will say, speaking of the time travel, I was kind of amused that we have the Legion, you know, being 31st century teenagers who are talking about uh, Superboy's parents, the Kents, in the 41st century. That that just kind of cracked me up, I got to say. It's like they teach a damn class on the Kents or something. It's kind of insane. And on top of that, the robot was called K3NT or something. Oh, yeah, you're right. I I, I, I picked that up the first time I watched this years ago, but I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, you're right. Good catch. Yeah. Did you like how catty uh, Timberwolf was uh, this uh, this uh, episode? I, I kind of liked it. I felt like they, you know, they kind of struggled with Timberwolf in the comics and in the first season. And so him, you know, now that he's no longer the most extreme character with Superboy X around him being catty seems kind of funny to me. Once again, like I feel like I'd never know what to do with with this character. He's so different in all the other incarnations. Yeah, you know, it's like at least a clear choice. It's not like him showing up and being a big deal in like episode three of the series and then just kind of dropping out for the rest of season one. So, Matt, did you uh, you, you get a flashback of anything about the red antimatter bubbles showing up all over the 41st century? Yeah, it was just eating away at the universe. Just a bunch of like crisis type stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. I felt very akin to Crisis on Infinite Earths or Zero Hour, which you may or may not remember was subtitled A Crisis in Time. Crisis in Time. It's a Indeed. crisis. So we have to have a bunch of shit disappearing. Indeed. That's a, how, how else would you know it was a crisis, Matt? <laughs> so who was your favorite uh, non-Superboy Legionnaire this episode, Matt? I got to go with Brainiac 5. He played a pretty big role in this. You know, after reading the tie-in comics, I, I kind of like him Brainiac 5 a little more going into season two that I did season one. It didn't hit a lot for me in the episode, but thinking about it now, it is kind of, it is kind of funny to see him be mildly traumatized and annoyed by the fact that his like the evil version or the more extreme version of his crush hates him. That's like yeah. pretty funny, actually. <laughs> it's a very kind of like superhero angst thing, you know, that like superhero comics can do that not a lot of other things can do. I guess I'd have to give it up for uh, for uh, white triplicate girl uh, R.I.P. I totally forgot they just killed her off in the uh, in the uh, first uh, first episode of season two. It's sad. Yeah, which they also did in the comics, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's slightly different death. But yeah, she usually yeah, usually at least one triplicate girl gets gets got. Um, interestingly, this is the one that's like actually likes Bouncing Boy. So I I can't remember, but it's like, will uh, will Orange and Purple want to keep dating Bouncing Boy or was White the main one driving that relationship, you know? And does she just become duplicate girl at that point? Uh, In the original Silver Age, they rename her Duo Damsel. Duo I don't I can't remember if they go with that or if they yeah, they just like duplicate girl would be the more obvious thing now that you think of it. <laughs> R.I.P. to a real one. One one third of triplicate girl. All right. So uh to save everybody from fast forwarding that, should we just go ahead and jump into Strange New Worlds uh premiere? Sure, Bob. So the Strange New Worlds premiere in the A plot. Well, really the only plot, man. With Pike off ship looking for a lawyer for Chin Riley and against Admiral April's orders. Spock heists the Enterprise to answer a distress call from Leanne Noonien Singh on a Klingon mining planet. Yeah, man. So uh, I can't say I'm wild about Spock's liar playing uh, being like explained in a handy prequel way that like, oh, Dr. Mbinga gave it to him so he can manage stress. I did. I just I, I didn't like that. Oh, no, I just I love Mbinga. I like I want a doctor like him. How would I look something up like uh, how can I look that up? By a doctor like him, you mean like emotionally supportive? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm looking for. Okay. Okay. Uh, just, a good, I, just a good guy. He seems like he cares about yeah. people, you know? No, he's, he is a really good guy. I, I like him a lot. Uh, no, and uh, like it's no hate on the character. It's just kind of annoying. Like, I don't know, just, you know, you know, that very prequel thing of like everything needs to be explained. Yeah, we got to know why Spot decided to, to, to chose that instrument. Now we know why. Yeah, he can't just he can't just like music. He can't just play the liar. I mean, come that on. hasn't that hasn't that hasn't uh catch you up at night, Bob. No, no, it never it never has. Just oh. just like how Indiana Jones got the hat, Matt was never <laughs> or, and, and even the bullwhip for that matter. Never never a source of great curiosity to me. Now you know. Yeah. So, Matt, I, I, I saw apparently some mixed feelings online about this. I thought it was kind of amusing, especially since, you know, Spock famously doesn't uh, get to participate in the heist of the Enterprise in Star Trek three because he's dead um, well, or dead or recently resurrected. So I, I thought it was kind of amusing that he got it. He got to heist the Enterprise in this episode. I don't know. It didn't sit too well with me. I'm, I'm all, I, this is one of those I'm kind of like it was such a big deal in Star Trek three for them to steal the enterprise <laughs> mm-hmm. that this seemed less 
like a, an issue, especially when you find out the like the punishment for doing it wasn't really that severe. Well, yeah, but only because it all turned out okay and he, he averted well, a war, right? Right, but I mean, didn't they like were they going to court martial Kirk and stuff before they came back in Star Trek Four and save the world? Yeah, but I mean, Spock saved the you know Spock saved the entire Federation with this thing, man. Yeah, he he avoided a war with the possible the Klingons. He did. Yeah, and and also, you know, I I thought they did a pretty good idea at the end. This is spoilers jumping ahead that you know a Gorn war is coming, and so April is making the you know the decision is like, okay, I don't want to. He's a good officer. I don't want to bog him and the ship down in this. We need them for the war, right? That is true. I guess I guess it's just the time. I guess he was Spock was in the right place at the right time. I think if he stolen it and nothing had happened while he was gone. They probably yeah. would have court-martialed his ass. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. You got lucky. I don't know. I, it did, I, I agree with you that it did feel a little abrupt, and it was a kind of strange way to start the season because it's like, you know, they'd already sort of written Chin Riley off a little bit, and then they they write Pike off a little bit too. So it did feel a little bit of a strange way to start the season. I, I definitely admit that. But I don't know. I thought it worked. I thought it was well enough explained. Well, we are introduced to a new character, Bob. Yeah, Matt, uh, what the hell is going on with Carol Kane's accent? I don't really care because it's so cool. It's like creepy and it makes everything she says sound eerie. But at the same time, I like it. Like, I just want to keep listening. <laughs> so you're, you're you're a fan of it. Huh? Oh, yeah, I like it. I I was really put off by it, especially in the first scene. And in, in the second scene, it didn't bother me quite as much. But in the first scene, I was like, I was like, what the hell is going on here, man? Yeah, then you find out she's a lanthanite. Yeah, which uh, sent me scrambling to memory alpha and memory beta, but no, me it's too. a new species. <laughs> yeah, it's a new species. Uh, so I, that is interesting. And also, I was a little cranky because I really liked Himmer as a character. And I also really liked having an Andorian as an ongoing part of the cast because yeah. they're a cool species and we haven't explored Andorians that much in the franchise. So I thought that was like a cool opportunity. And the fact that he like got killed off and, you know, there does seem to be this deplorable trend in new Star Trek, especially Discovery and Strange New Worlds. If it's like, OK, this this makeup budget, it's too much. So we're just <laughs> going to kill this character off and then we'll recast the actor as someone else. That's exactly um, what they do. And it's sad. But you know. yeah, yeah. So I, all that all that didn't prime me to be excited about Carol Kane's character. But the, the fact that she is an alien and it is does seem to be kind of interesting, right? Apparently they pass for human. Apparently they're almost immortal. That all that sounds, you know, apparently uh, Carol Kane's character herself has a relationship with Spock's mom. All that sounds pretty interesting. That'll be interesting. And we're going to get a really good episode at some point where we see like what it was like in her past. I'm sure or she'll yeah, be characters yeah. that we have come to know and love at some point. <clears throat> Enterprise. Yeah, Th this might be wrong, but I do sort of I like the vibe that she wants to do this basically because she gets bored because she lives forever. Yeah. And that also maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like she's only going to be around for this season. You know, right, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, it feels like she probably has a, a couple stories about Spock's past, but she'll get bored and move on. And then, you know, we'll get a new engineer. And so that that actually is kind of interesting. I, I sort of like that vibe. So, the, you know, the I'm, rotating engineer season to season. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, they probably won't do it, but if they get uh, Chief Grace, who uh, I believe is a, a Maori uh, character, to be the engineer, he's like the engineer uh, in the comics and the novels for Pike. If they got if they got him, that'd be really cool for a season. They probably won't, but that that would be a, a good possibility. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a, I mean, eventually they're going to have Scotty at some point, but you know. yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the, I don't know if they would go to him for season three or if they would just push that off till the end of the show, you know? Yeah. I'd wait till the end of the show. If I were them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt, when you first saw the buried Crossfield class ship, did a part of you think it might be disco? Uh, for some reason, my brain went to Farragut, but I couldn't piece together. Why? <laughs> I was uh, like, is that, that the USS Farragut? And I was like, no, I don't know why I'm saying that. <laughs> that's the ship. That's a ship Kirk served on that I believe was a Constitution class ship. Right. Yeah. So it makes no sense. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> no, no, no accounting for Matt's unconscious. No accounting. Exactly. It like pissed me off because then I looked up Farragut. I was like, yeah, this is the ship Kirk was on. I was like, yeah, it's not. I don't know why I'm thinking that. But it comes into play in that neural parasite episode, doesn't it? Yeah. I really did like this episode. I hope my enthusiasm shows despite my skepticism for Carol Kane initially. But I will say like a couple things that bothered me. One thing was like the needless prequelization of Spock. The other was we I'm correct in remembering this right. In season one, we had like no indication that Mabinga was like a scarred Klingon war veteran that came out of nowhere. Yeah, it came out of nowhere and I, I don't really like it, but I did say the same thing about Shaw. And his anti-Borg ways, and then that turned around. So maybe they can work this in in a way that's interesting. Yeah, but Shaw was always funny. And it also, like, Shaw was a new character. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like we'd seen Shaw in Picard season two. And then they were like, oh, and did you know he has a tragic past? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he did have his daughter in the first season. So I don't know why they just... Yeah, this, that, that was the other thing. It felt like just like, you know, his daughter angst from season one got resolved. And so this felt just like, oh, well, he needs new angst. So let's let's also make him. <laughs> he just moves on from one angst to the next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, maybe that's why he's such a nice guy is that he carries such a burden of angst that he just really <laughs> wants to connect and care about people. Because if it's, you know, he'll he'll work through his war angst and then it'll be something else. We'll, we'll find out his wife used to beat him or something. Yeah. Know, poor guy. I, I, yeah. This is just going to end up with him in an episode where he's having to work closely with a Klingon. And it's going to be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be like uh, it's going to be like O'Brien and uh, and the uh, Cardassian in that season four episode in Next Gen. Yes. Nice. I did like his uh, his speech about remembering that battle on the moon and like the you know, there being blood in the atmosphere because of all the all the killing. That was that was actually pretty good. It was good acting. It's not a it's not a slide on the actor playing Mabingo. It's uh, Mabinga. It's just a kind of slide on the writing choice, you know? Yeah, one of my uh, the things I watch, you know, that kind of recaps some of these episodes and things was discussing like the number of Klingons and people that died mm -hmm. or the number of people that died. And mm -hmm. it was I want to say, didn't they say it was 100 million or something like that? that I, I didn't catch it. Oh, uh, yeah, it was some crazy number. And it just made you wonder, like, OK, and this is and, and Burnham still got off for all this. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's like a hundred million people died. <laughs> Burnham's a starship captain. <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, in fairness, she doesn't become a starship captain until a thousand years into the future. Yeah, they, they forgive you after a while, I guess. But still, yeah, yeah. Just, they, they, he was pointing it out. Like he was saying, like, you know, the, the, yeah, death's awful. But when you go from like saying, OK, this many people die to 100 million. That is the kind of interesting thing about like Star Trek and about a lot of like science fiction in general is that, you know, the tendency is to think it's like going to be like, oh, you know, this better socialist utopian society. And they are. But then, you know, they're going to have these wars with the Klingons and the Gorn and the Dominion. And yeah, like hundreds of thousands, if not probably millions or billions of people are dying in these conflicts. And it's just like it's just existential on a level that, you know, is hard for us to grasp, even with all the carnage on Earth, you know? Right. That's you don't you don't they don't show you that part. But, yeah, or at least they, they just kind of they gesture at it with oh, a character being traumatized or angst filled. But yeah, right. it's the character you cared about died. <laughs> Not yeah, <that>. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, I, I you know, but to go from the the tragedy of a human existence and war, Matt, to some really cool violence, um, I yeah. really, I actually, I I saw some distaste about this online, but I thought it was awesome. Uh, Mabinga and Chapel are doing stems and then using it to fight the Klingons. I thought that yeah, was people very complained fun. about this. I, I, it gets on my nerves. I'm like, really, this is awesome. They take super soldier serum and beat the shit out of Klingons. Like, how is that? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. and it's like, yeah, it, it, it's very funny because it's like the two characters you would least expect because they're like the friendliest, funniest characters on the ship, and they're yeah, they're, they're the doctors, they're the ones who are supposed <laughs> yeah. to make you better, not make you fat. <laughs> but yeah, the- <laughs> and they're basically taking venom and going after the Klingons. It's great. Well, and it makes sense they would have something like this because they just got done with a war with the Klingons. They had to have a way to com- combat them in. Yeah, you know, yeah. G- so they've given, been developing things like this. Yeah, Something. given how much stronger the average Kling and tougher the average Klingon mm-hmm. is than the average human. Yeah. Um, I really did love the image of the Klingon D seven dropping out of warp. I, I don't think I've. I don't think we've ever seen that with modern CGI. Um, I don't think if we, we have. Either, no. Yeah, if we had, it didn't register for me. That was very beautiful, I thought. it's Even though I hate prequels, <laughs> it's one of those arguments for, yeah, this is kind of why prequels are cool, is you get to see the old stuff look cool in a new way. Yeah, I was so proud of myself for knowing it was like a battle cruiser and not saying it was a bird of prey. <laughs> Good job, Matt. Good job. <laughs> I can tell the difference between the two ships. Yes, that that look almost nothing alike. Good job. Correct. <laughs> Although they at least do have that similar design principle of like the long neck and the you know the bulb at the front and right. the kind of wingtips at the sides. But yeah, still very different looking. All right. So another thing, I guess I could imagine some people might have been annoyed at this, but I thought it really worked was. When Spock is kind of puzzling out the false flag operation and what the scheme is going on here, and he's kind of doing this this combination of like intuition and using his Vulcan logic, you know, so it's really came off to me as kind of cool. It was very like Sherlock Holmes or, you know, from Star Wars, very Thrawn. And I, I, I was kind of charmed by it. I could say that this guy is slowly replacing who I see as Spock in my brain. It's like if my brain searches for Spock, eight out of the 10 images are of Nimoy and the other two are Ethan Peck. So, yeah. And I mean, in general, it's just astonishing how good the the actors playing already established characters are in the show. Like 
for him, for Pike, uh, for number one, for for Hura, for Chapel, for Mbinga. They're all just like they're astonishingly good at like both like kind of honoring the earlier performances, but finding like new and more modern nuances to it. I again, I if you I wouldn't have thought it would work if you were just describing it to me in general. Right. Yeah, but I mean, it really has. It, it, it's it's excellent. I mean, you know, any new fans to Star Trek that never watched the old stuff, seeing this, I mean, it's it's still it's still good acting, good show. You can still keep go, go along with it. If that's your Spock, that's your Spock. You know. Yeah, it's like it's just it balances that thing of you never have to have seen an original series episode at all. And yeah, I think you would still find this like vital and interesting science fiction. But if you have seen the original stuff like this, like honors it and modernizes it in a really great way. I mean, as long as you don't like the Kelvin verse, you're good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if you do like the Kelvin verse, fuck you. (laughs) So uh, I will say that. It is just kind of an interesting political note. You know, Strange New World is a very it's a very woke show, very progressive show. Um, false flag operations, at least at this point in history, are very much a concern of the right. And so it's kind of funny to see a woke show like Strange New Worlds dramatizing a false flag operation. I totally thought Spock was going to choke and cause like the next war with like just like a sister. <laughs> it's just like god that's why sarek's a diplomat is because yeah. his children keep starting wars i'm yeah. sure cybox started a war or two as well <laughs> yeah remember that uh klingon war that spock started after he stole the enterprise from starbase one bob yeah when when a little yeah, adventure yeah. a little that, captain that, away that, and the senior crew will play that that, that that was pretty dumb that was pretty dumb yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a sad 100 million it's a sad 100 million people died because yeah. of it <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Still the flagship of the Federation. You can have a you can have a little uh, interstellar war as a treat. <laughs> so I, another CGI thing I really liked was when they do pull in Mabinga and Chapel and, you know, they're frostbitten from the vacuum. That was like the and just the CGI of the transporter effect was very cool. Very, very it, it made my heart race a little like it was weird the way they did it. I thought they were we were like seriously going to see like a transporter error or something yeah. like we were literally going to see finally like what happens when you, you know, that the whole thing where like you have two people that are transported together at the same time from like out of space and they're just like in a big blob. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what yeah. was going on. <laughs> I was freaking out. <laughs> and I guess they kind of have to, you know, since we know both these characters survived to the original series, they kind of have to play up the drama, right? Well, yeah. Well, you could feel the cold, too. Like, that was the thing. Like, yeah, the cold of space. Yeah. Like, you just feel it while looking at them. Ugh. It was very, it was, yeah, they really made that palpable and uncomfortable. It was good. It was good. I, I also just want to salute uh, Nurse Chapel for, even though she's near death, uh, she still is so committed to the bit that, She's flirting with Spock about S and M. God, God, God bless that woman. Yeah, Jess Bush is so awesome. That's the actress. She's a uh, you know who would have thought that Nurse Chapel would be one of the better characters on a Trek show in 2023. <laughs> no, it's like, like I own the action I'm, figure, and I'm like, I never even did anything. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm totally smitten with her. She's great. She's yeah. great. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, so you know, we find out in the second Carol Kane scene that uh, you know she came out to Spock's mother as one of the first humans. She revealed herself as you know this long-lived alien species, and you know, it, obviously the the queer allegory to that shouldn't be lost on anyone. That's right, Bob. It is Pride Month. It is Pride Month, Matt. Happy Pride. And I, like I said before, the accent mm, bothers me a little less the second time around. It seems out of place, but I like it that it's like that. (laughs) 
it makes her seem like there's more to her character. It is. It's interesting that 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 you you like it so much. I I really want to see what Alan thinks of it. Because I, I, I could see him loving it, or I could see him being really put off. My yeah. my friend Alan. So I'm I'm looking forward to hearing hearing his take. Um. So Matt, a war is coming. A Gorn war. Yeah. All I can picture in my head is like a foot war between the officers and lizard people. So I, I, I don't know where that's going to go. Would it be a better joke if it were foot race? Foot race, foot war, foot race. Could be. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm dyslexic and I read it as foot war or foot race in the notes. But what, what do you, what yeah. do you call What do you call it when they're like, you know, fighting face to face in person, not through ships? Hand to hand, face to face. Hand to hand, I guess. In person. Face, yeah. I always thought it was called a foot war. I guess what I'm picturing is the Gorn wedding from Lower Decks where all the baby Gorn are like chewing on Boimler. <laughs> yeah, but like they kill him. That would be the war. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to it, though, man. The, the Gorn, the Gorn episodes uh, from last season were awesome. Oh, yeah. That was a great episode of Alien. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> And then, um, <laughs> obviously, we get the uh, very sweet dedication to Nichelle Nichols at the end. That was very nice. Yeah, it was extremely sweet. Um, kudos to them for doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. And the, the other kind of political point I wanted to make about the show, I, I'm at, I feel like the only good liberals in Hollywood write for Strange New Worlds. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean that, like, Strange New Worlds is a really woke show. But it's like woke in a good way. It like actually does care about and like make funny and give personalities to marginalized characters or characters from like marginalized backgrounds. It doesn't just like randomly slap characters on the screen, fail to develop them and then pat itself on the back for doing so, like maybe Discovery. And I I just I really appreciate that it's like actually well, well written while being woke and that it's also anti-war. Because we live in an era where liberals are just like frothing at the mouth to go to Russia with China like mad dogs. And this is literally uh, literally uh, an episode about like the dangers of uh, arming a proxy to fight a to fight a rival power (laughs) and the need to the need to be to be attentive for uh, false flag operations that might try to like blow up a pipeline. I you know, I I don't know, like I just I I don't know how Strange New Worlds got the only good liberals in Hollywood to write it, but I'm I'm just really grateful that they do. Okay, Bob, keyword is ham handed. Discovery handles these things in a ham-handed way. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. It totally does. And also, I mean, just like so much of new Star Trek is just bad writing. Like Disco, Picard, and Prodigy just has so much bad writing. And I don't know how the same people also produce Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks, but they and and manage to avoid that bad writing. But they do, and it's amazing. It's just I don't know. Disco seems like it has to like. Beat you over the head with it. It's just not good. Picard's well, a nostalgia trip, and Prodigy's for kids. I mean, yeah, it's. For I children. just can't watch Prodigy. I, I just don't. I don't. You like shouldn't. It. It's terrible. It's not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that—that's the thing. Like Disco, like has a pretty diverse bridge crew, but they've done almost nothing to develop any of them. And it, but it then it still thinks it's like so woke and so great, and it's like I. We hardly know anything about Detmer or a, a Warshika or the comm officer or the tactical officer. Like we hardly know more. 
my buddy Alan and I have put in more thought to Detmer and Awarshika's personalities than the writers have in like four years. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just it's such a bad TV show. But I'm just I'm just glad we have so much Shrek available. That makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, like I said, I'm so grateful for Strange New Worlds and uh, and Lower Decks, both for being quality entertainment and for Strange New Worlds of actually, you know, pointing back to a time when, uh, you know, liberalism was not incompatible with uh, with good writing and uh, anti-war politics. So yeah, that's nice. <laughs> All right, Matt. So uh, who was your character of the week? My character of the week was Pelia, our new engineer. Wow. She's wow. Interesting choice. Interesting like choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very amused that I that I was not that into her and that she liked her. That's 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 an interesting dichotomy. Um, I'll, I'll go with Ortegas. Uh, great to see her back. I uh, really do hope the finale of Strange New Worlds is Ortegas getting her own command and getting to say Vamanos to you know as her substitute for engage. That would be great. <laughs> She's gonna die. <laughs> oh, no, no, they can't, they can't, they can't kill her. She's so good. She's, she's going to die. She's an icon. Last words are going to be vomitous. <laughs> oh, no, she's an icon. She's an icon for lesbians everywhere. They yeah, can't kill true. her. That'd be terrible. All right, Matt. So what was your episode of the week? Episode of the week goes to Broken Circle, Bob. I enjoyed Man from the Edge of Tomorrow part one, but the Broken Circle was better. In a, in a rarity for uh, me, I'm going to give it to the Legion episode, Man from the Edge of Tomorrow, part one. I mean, obviously, I loved a lot of stuff in Broken Circle, but the the bits with a couple of those bits with Spock and Mabinga, I didn't think really worked and did leave that bad taste in my mouth. So probably the only time this will happen this season, but I'll give it to the Legion episode. Fair enough. All right. Well, this has been the very exciting, very joyful for both of us return of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, along with Legion of Superheroes. Please check us in week to week. Please don't touch that fast forward button. Don't listen to that son of a bitch, Matt, that I uh, (laughs) podcast with. I am Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.